I got a, I got a light up here. Okay. All right. We're on now. All right. Uh, well, let's uh, let's open the word together. Um, we're going to be eventually in uh, Proverbs chapter three, but I want to read some scripture and then I want to take us before the Lord before we begin. This is Psalm chapter fifteen. Psalm fifteen. O Lord, who shall dwell in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right, and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest, and who does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Let's pray. Father, who may dwell in your presence, he whose heart is blameless. Father, we are your people, and we know that it is by your grace we have come into relationship with you, and that by your grace you have sent the Holy Spirit to make us yours, and to bring us to new life. But Father, as we open your word this morning, I pray that if anyone has come this morning harboring anything in their heart, that they would confess it to you now and turn away from it, that they might be cleansed and might stand blamelessly before you and worship. And Father, we thank you for the cleansing that you do offer to us when we sin. That you remove our wickedness from us as far as the east is from the west that you hide our guilt in the ocean away from us. And you've taken it away. And Father, we thank you for the reassurance that we have that we will one day dwell in your holy presence, blameless and faultless and guiltless. And Father, I pray this morning as we open your word that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit. We know Father, that your word speaks, and we pray that we would allow it to speak by your Holy Spirit to us and to change our lives. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, I want to do part of the book of Proverbs with you um, here this summer. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 3 through Proverbs chapter 9 which have a lot to say to us about the good life. You know, finding the good life, right? Uh, You know, if you watch TV at all, you know, or you are on the Internet at all, of course you are. You all have smartphones. You're on the Internet. You know about this stuff, right? Every product that is out there is promising to make life better for you, right? Well, if you just have this, you know, if you just have, you know, this Ginsu knife, well, it will make all your tomato slicing chores easier, right? 
And if you just have this, well then, you know, this, this, will, uh, this will get all the stains out of your clothes and that will make life grand. You know, this, if, you just, um, if you just have this car, well then you'll have um, Matthew McConaughey talk to you in existential poetry, right? Um, <laughs> if you just have this, then that will help you to achieve the good life, right? Uh, when I was a kid, there was a TV show on. It was on for about 10 years, actually, uh, that was called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. How many of you remember this show, right? And every week, you would, you would uh, Robin Leach, this Australian guy, would come on, and he would tell you about, and he'd take you into the house and tour you through the life of, uh, of some famous celebrity. You know, you'd, you'd, you'd see uh, Garth Brooks' house, or you'd see... Um, You'd see Tyra Banks' house, or you would see, uh, you know, Willie Nelson's house, or Ozzie Smith's house, or whoever's house, and then he would talk, and everything sounds better in kind of a, a foreign English accent, right? Like if you're Australian, that lends an air of, of sophistication to the whole proceeding, right? And then at the end of this, he would, he would, he was always dressed in a tux, you know, Robin would, would, would stand there in his tux and he would close out the show with his kind of signature line as he's holding a glass, uh, you know, he's got a champagne flute there and he would say, champagne wishes and caviar dreams. You know, and that was the show, right? And this is the dorkiest, cheesiest, most tacky, terrible thing in the world. You can go look this up, all right? It's out there on YouTube. You can find this. Um, and it was gaudy and cheesy and terrible at the time, but people tuned in every week. It was on for 10 years, if you can believe that. And the whole idea of this show was that this is the good life. You know, you too can have gold-plated faucets in your bathroom, right? Um, you too can have way too much marble in your foyer, etc., right? And this is the good life. And, and it's a very seductive vision, isn't it? I mean, as tacky as a lot of that was, you know, you know, hey, look at this room. I've, I've covered the walls in red velour, you know. Oh, that's great, right? Um, but as tacky as that was, there's something very appealing about being rich and famous enough not to care what anybody else thinks and to be able to spend money on, on doing whatever you wanted to do. And, and because that is so seductive, God continually presents in His Word the reality that this experience, or eating at that restaurant, or having that possession, or this thing, or that relationship, is all a mirage that when you actually get there and you obtain whatever that is, it is not going to give peace, joy, and happiness to your life. And that there is, in fact, a good life, but it does not consist in those things. And it consists, in fact, in living wisely in this life and enjoying the life that God gives as you follow Him. And we have in the book of Proverbs a whole book of God's wisdom 
on how to live life in a way that is not only pleasing to God, but is also the kind of life that God blesses and rewards, and which is not dependent on the acquisition of things or relationships with people for its uh, blessing and reward and enjoyment. And so I want to show you the book of Proverbs, or at least a portion of it here this summer. Um, we're going to look at chapter 3 through 9 and look at how to have a great life, how to live life at its best. And chapter 3 gives us a, just a section of this, how to live life at its best. And we want to look, first of all, at the peace that God gives uh, Jesus said, you know, he does not give like the world gives. And, and here in chapter 3, first section here, we see the peace that God does give. Uh, beginning verse 1, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Now, if you look at the book of Proverbs, if you haven't read it before, uh, let me just give you the, one of the keys to understanding it. It's written, the structure of the book is written as uh, a father giving advice to his son. So it's Father's Day. Uh, this is maybe a good day to start something like this, of a father sitting his boy down and say, look, let me tell you how life works. Let me tell you how this, how this, how life, if you live life, how to live it the best and most successful, rewarding way. Because there are lots of different ways to go through life, amen? And there are lots of different roads that you can take. And some of them lead to blessing and reward, and some of them are a lot like waking up every morning and smacking yourself in the forehead with a hammer. And <laughs> I'm serious. And, and the reality is, is that you can't always tell which way leads to which outcome. And if you want to be wise, you want to make sure that you get more blessing and less hammering. Amen? And so, so Solomon is sitting down with his son and telling them, telling him, this is how you do it. But, if you, but, but here's the deal. Solomon is dead. And this is God's word. And so when you read my son, you really ought to personalize it. As if God is speaking to you directly, his child. Because he is, this is his word to us. And he intends for us to understand these things. So, first, uh, and, in the, and here in, in chapter 3, we get, we get instruction, and we get, following that, incentive. Right? In other words, here's what you should do. And then, following that, Here's why, and here's the blessing of doing it. So do this not simply because it's right, but because there's blessing in doing it that way. And so we get, in verse 1, we get uh, the first instruction. Don't forget 
God's commands, but keep them in your heart. Now, the, the word keep there, you ought, to, you ought to circle that or underline that, mark that somehow in your Bible. It's, the word keep is more than just the word, of, the word meaning obey. It's the idea of guarding this, of guarding the commandments that you have been given uh, as if they are a treasure. I don't know how many of you have a safety deposit box at the bank or you have a safe maybe in your basement or something but the things that you treasure you guard and you keep and you keep them secure and you protect them and the idea behind this word is that is that you ought to put this in your heart and lock it away as if it is a treasure because it is and and our natural tendency, men and women, is to fill our hearts with everything imaginable except loving and obeying Jesus. And what God is saying to us here in verse 1 is to put Him in your heart in such a way that you live a life of love and obedience to Him and to protect that as your central treasure rather than anything else. Because you are not going to find life anywhere else. It isn't out there. It isn't there to find. Life is found in loving and knowing and obeying Jesus. And he tells us that right up front. Keep my commandments. Keep them in your heart like a treasure. And in verse 2, he gives us the benefit of what will happen if we do this. What will you get out of it? You will get a long, peaceful life. You get a long, peaceful life. Lots of us go through life frantically searching for something that is going to give us peace. Something to give us peace. And, and what God is promising is if you obey Him, you get peace and you get to enjoy it your whole life. I was talking to a, a good friend of mine and he was talking about how you, a person really has two choices. You know, when you're young, you can pick two pathways, really. You can pick the exciting life or you can have the peaceful life. And, and if, the, if you pick the exciting life, it'll get real exciting in, in all kinds of unpredictable and terrible ways, right? Uh, in, in this particular fellow's life, it got exciting enough that he actually wound up a guest of the state at one of their little institutions, right? And, <laughs> and he was like, you know, at that point I decided I'd rather have peaceful than exciting, right? And, and what... What God is promising here is follow me and I'll give you a life that's peaceful. I'll give you a life that is enjoyable. Now, not necessarily a life that is without any difficulties or pain, but a life that when pain and difficulty comes that you're not destroyed 
by those things that you are still at peace because your house has been built on the rock. And verse 3 and 4 are really closely related to this. It's when, we, when you read, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. You need to realize that throughout the Old Testament, the primary person who is characterized by steadfast love and faithfulness is God Himself. It is His, uh, the word steadfast love there is, is, is two words that translate the word hesed in Hebrew. And and that's the word that God uses to describe His own covenant, faithful, loyal, steadfast love for His people. He's saying, look, you got, a, you got two pathways, son. One is to remain in God's steadfast, loyal, covenant-keeping, covenant-making love, or chart your own path. But one path leads to peace, and the other does not. And these verses, verse 3 and 4, are a poetic call from God to let His love, the kind of love that He demonstrates to us, transform us. And transform the kind of people that we become. If you look at it, here's what happened. He says, look, bind them on your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. He's talking about letting God's love change who you are on the inside. And then it says, and then you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. In other words, this is another outcome. It's not just that you get a long, peaceful life. It's that God's love transforms who you are as a person and your heart is changed by His love and other people can see it. They can see it like, a, like you, you can see a necklace if somebody has one on. And God's love becomes obvious in your life and to a point that you actually do gain favor not only with God but with other people. You know, we buried Fran Paddock this last week. Fran was 96 years old, and she was a dear and beloved saint. And I am confident that she went to a great reward. And I don't know that all of the people who were here for that funeral necessarily knew Jesus. I know that many of them did. But I don't know about all of them. But you know, what, what everybody said about her was interesting. What everybody said was, she was the most loving person that I've ever met. And she always wanted to talk to people about Jesus. And, and she was just winsome in how she dealt with people. And she would just draw you in. That's kind of what this passage is talking about. That, you know, there was nobody who was, who, who was here who said, you know, I am glad that old bird checked out. Right? There was no one saying that. I just want here to make sure that she stayed in there. You know, I mean, no one said that, right? Not only because it would be rude, but because it would be untrue. Because this was a person whose God, whom God's love had transformed in such a way that she had favor not only with God, but with other people, where they went, 
wow, this was an amazing person. I am devastated that she passed away. I am devastated that she passed away. I know she was old, but man, it was really, knowing her was a real blessing. That's the idea. Having favor with God and with man because God's steadfast love and faithfulness have transformed who you are. Now you move from the peace that God gives into the trust that God requires. If you're going to experience these blessings of a peaceful life and favor with God and man, then you're going to have to trust the Lord. Look at these verses, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Now these are probably some of the most well-known verses in the book of Proverbs and I know that many of you have learned them by heart. Amen? All right, if you're in 2-7 with me, you had to learn this one, right? Um, but we, sometimes we need to focus on the things that we know and actually look closely at what God is calling us to do here. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. You know, the word trust there is actually the word that describes like throwing yourself down face first on this person right like you know you're like you're a little kid and you're sit, your dad has you standing on the counter and says jump and the kid just jumps and flings her arms around her daddy right that's the idea is total trust knowing that the person on the other end is going to catch you Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. The idea is with all your heart means there's no escape clause. There's no fallback position. There's no thought of, well, I'll trust in the Lord up until the point that I think it's not working out. And then I got this other avenue I'm going to pursue. I got this back door that I'm going to get out of this. And we do it because God is fully Worthy of our trust. Remember um, the uh, the early Christian martyr Polycarp was asked right before they burned him at the stake if he would recant, we'll let you die in peace. If you will renounce your faith in Jesus Christ, we will. You're an old man. We'll just let you die. And he says, for 86 years, I have served my Lord and He has never forsaken me. I cannot forsake Him. The Lord is fully worthy of our trust. He hasn't failed us yet, and He's not going to. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Look at this next part. Don't lean on your own understanding. That's a line that clarifies what it means to trust God. You know, I don't know about you, but I think that all my ideas are pretty good. Right? I mean, obviously, because I thought of them. Right? 
I mean, if I, if, I, if I had a better idea, I would go with that. But I mean, I came up with this one, and so it must be a good idea. And if what, it, if what I thought that I wanted to do was dumb, it wouldn't have occurred to me as an idea. I know that, right? I don't have dumb ideas. I have good ideas, right? And maybe you are that arrogant too. Um, quite possibly, right? But the line here in verse 5 is meant to humble us and to remind us that, in fact, there is nothing in that line of reasoning that is true. Let me ask us all a question here on whether we are trusting God or trying to lean on our own understanding. Just a clarifying question. When you come to a choice that you need to make, is your first question, what does God's Word say? Or is your first question, what do I think I ought to do here? Trusting God means that we allow God and His Word to overrule us and our thinking and to send us in a different direction. I want, to, I want to just share with you, this is a good word I read this week from Pastor Ray Ortland. This is what he said. He said, do you merely agree with the Bible or do you obey the Bible? My dog sometimes agrees with me, but she never obeys me. If you merely agree with the Bible, then your response is not obedience, but coincidence. What do you do when the Bible contradicts what you want to be true? If you are looking in the Bible for excuses to do what you want to do anyway, you have in fact rejected God. But if you trust the Lord, you will let the Bible challenge your most cherished thoughts and feelings. That's a good word. I don't want my, I don't want my response to the Lord to only align with Him by coincidence. Amen? Simply because I agree with Him that that's a good idea. I want to actually obey, which means letting Him override what I think. Because in reality, I'm not that smart. And neither are you. And certainly not smarter than the Lord. Look at verse 6. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. This, this is, again, further cl clarification here on what it means to trust God. Acknowledging, by the way, is not simply recognizing that He is present. This isn't like giving God a tip of your hat, in other words. Oh, I, oh yeah, I know, I know God is here. No, acknowledging Him in all your ways means that we willingly submit to His rule in, it says, all of your ways, meaning every aspect of your life. Every part of your life. And here at the end, we're given an, an incentive to, for obeying God's call to trust Him. If we do, He will straighten your pathway. Now, 
what I think that means is, is that he is going to guide you and lead you by the most direct route to him. That does not mean there will not be difficulties, trials, pain, and testing, and all of that along the road. But that he will lead you to him by the direct route. Okay? And there will only be as, as much of the pain and difficulty and trial as is necessary to bring you to him and to cause you to look like Jesus when you arrive. Jesus put it this way. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That doesn't mean that, that if I trust God completely that everything in my life is going to turn out just exactly like I want it to. It means that your life is going to turn out like He wants it to, and it beats the alternative with a stick. It does. Trust me on this. Following Jesus is a lot easier, a lot easier than the outcome you get by cutting your own path. In fact, it's the difference between between follow, walking along the path and deciding to take a machete and go over the mountain on your own and cut your own road. One of those is a lot easier than bushwhacking your way. It is. And, and Jesus says, trust me. Follow the way that I am leading you. It's the direct route to get you to where you want to go leads to the Father. And it leads to looking like Jesus. And it leads to me who follow the path that I lay out. It's the straight road. And then you experience the life that God rewards. Look at verses 7 through 12 here. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now, couple of these verses are dangerous because sometimes people want to read them and take them out of context and think that God, that that the bible teaches that somehow um that god is like aladdin's genie and if you just follow the right steps then you get everything you want right is that true no it is not and this passage actually if you read all of the verses makes that clear Verse 7 is a warning, another one, to reject your own wisdom and obey the Lord. And, you know, you see this kind of warning over and over and over again in, in Proverbs. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Follow the Lord. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Follow the Lord. Uh, don't lean on your own understanding. Follow the Lord. Right? Why do you think that thing gets repeated? Well, let me ask you another question. Have you ever told your kids the same thing more than once? <laughs> right why do you tell them more than once because they are prone to forget right guess why god tells us more than once 
Because we are prone to forget. We are prone to forget. And so in verse 7, we get another reminder. Don't lean on your, on your own wisdom. Don't think that you're smarter than you are. Trust the Lord. Obey the Lord. And verse 8 tells us, if you do that, it will be healing and refreshing to your body. The reality is, is that following the Lord is the only way that life works. It is the only way that pieces all fit together. And if you go another way, it does not work, and it cannot work, because the universe is not designed to, co- to cooperate with your sinfulness. It is not. Heard a great story about this. Uh, there, was a, there used to be an Olympic-class weightlifter. The guy's name was Paul Anderson. And Paul was a beast. He was incredibly strong. In fact, he was so strong that he could not do leg workouts with a regular weight bar because it was not long enough to get enough weight on it to give him any exercise. He was, he was huge. And... Uh, and so Paul, what he did was he, he called up a, a friend that was a welder and had a custom squat rack built. And then he had a bank safe delivered and had him just with a forklift load that sucker right down on top of this squat rack. And then he would get up underneath it, put his back flat against it, and do squats with a bank safe. Strong. Okay? Strong. <laughs> I have never in my life been that strong. I mean, this is like, you know, a lowland gorilla, <laughs> okay? This guy was unbelievable. Well, one day, he, he was a believer, and he liked to tell this story because it illustrated some things that are true about life. And he said, you know, one day I went out there, he had this thing in his barn, and he, he went out there on a cold morning, and he went out and he got up underneath his bank safe to do some squats. He was just going to have his morning workout, you know. Except underneath there, and it didn't move. And then he kind of stepped out. All right, I'm just feeling weak today, I guess. I got to get underneath. Nothing happened, right? One more time. Nothing happened. And then he got. To, and then he's like, "Wait a minute, I'm not this weak." So he got, to, he got to looking around, and what had happened is, is that the day before it had been a little warmer day, and then overnight the temperature had dropped. And so there had been condensation on the outside of this thing, and it had actually frozen down to the rack. And it is just, just solid ice in between there. And he was, he was trying to... Well, Paul said it this way. He said, I was trying to pick up the entire world. (laughs) Okay. And here's the point that then he would make. He would say it this way. He said, you know, when you try to live life by whatever pathway you want to pick out for yourself, you are trying to move the entire world and you can't do it. And that's true. You cannot do it. God has designed the world to work in His way and His way only. And there isn't another way. You are not strong enough to pick up the entire world. 
And here's the deal. This is the great irony. The more that you obey the Lord, the freer you become. And joy and refreshment come to your life. Just like God promises right here. Now look at verse 9 to 12 here. These verses give us both sides of the coin in our relationship with God. It says in verse 9 and 10, If you honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best of all that He has given you materially, then He will bless you even more. Why is that important? Because one of the things that we tend to be selfish and sinful with is our money and our stuff. You know, one of the things that that church people are kind of notorious for sometimes is donating to the church what I call junk for Jesus. Right? I don't need this anymore and it doesn't really work and it's not in that great a shape, but I don't want it in my house. Let's take it to the church. Or, well, you know, I looked at my checkbook and I had this much money left over at the end of the month after I did everything else I wanted to do, so therefore that's what I'm going to give to the Lord. What's the Scripture say? The Scripture says, From the first fruits of all of your wealth, in other words, off of the top, and honor the Lord and then it promises blessing now again this is not there's not a one for one correspondence necessarily and that's where a lot of these guys that are on TV it always works out great for them right if you sacrifice to the Lord then you'll be blessed I'll be blessed a lot more but you will be blessed right and there's some some idiot on there now who is talking about how God really wants him to have a $75 million private airplane because the other five he already has are not really quite long enough range for him to get by in life. I'm like, you know, Delta flies any place you want to (laughs) go. Okay. That is not what the Lord is talking about here. He's not saying, if you do this, then this will always automatically result. But what he is saying is that if you trust me, even with your money, if you give out of the best of what you have, not out of what is left over, then I will honor you in that. And I can, t- I can tell you that this is true. You know, my biggest problem is not that I have missed all these meals because of all of the money that we have given away. Karen and I were blessed this last year to give away more money in last year than we ever have at any time in our lives. And you know what? You know what? It didn't hurt us any. I didn't come up to the end of the year and go, well, you know, if I'd had that money, we'd have had three meals a day. That's not what happened. In fact, you know, my biggest problem is too many groceries, not too few, right? And... And the same is true for you, for, for you as well. That God blesses and cares for us. But you've got, to, you've got to allow 
your trust of him to get into the things that you treasure. And not give him that which costs you nothing. In fact, David says that in 2 Samuel. He's trying to buy the site that later becomes the, the temple and the guy who owns it offers to just give it to him. And he says, no, I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. But if you honor the Lord with your material resources, He does take care of you. He does. Done, I can tell you from experience. I've done it my whole life and He has never let me go hungry or naked. Not one time. I've never even been worried about it. Not one time. And then be sure not to miss verse 11 and 12. These are, these are the favorite verses in this chapter right everybody likes to hear about god's discipline so i'm sure you've got these like underlined and circled and stars around them if you don't you should my son do not despise the lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof for the lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights the point is is that god is not just concerned about our comfort he is also concerned about our character. In fact, of the two, he is big on character and low on comfort. He cares much more about what kind of people we are uh, than what kind of circumstances we enjoy. And he wants to make us like him. And people who read verse 9 and 10 without going on to read verse 11 and 12 are mistaken. Because God does bless, but He also brings trials and difficulty and pain and discipline into our lives. Why? Because He is a good Father. You know, the reality is that I would much rather be grandfather to my kids than father. Right? I mean, Dad's job is, is things like fiber, exercise, school, learning how to work, learning how to get up on time, learning how to make your bed, right? Grandpa's job is things like Legos, ice cream, <laughs> you know, uh, water parks, you know what I mean? I, I would much rather, of the two, I would pick Grandpa, right? In fact, my dad told me, he said, you know, if I'd known grandkids were going to be this much fun, I'd have had them first. And I'm like, yeah, Dad, I'm hip to that. You know, I can't wait to have grandkids of my own that I get to ruin, right? And then send them home, right? Sugar them up, feed them like a half a pound of gummy bears, and send them back to Mom and Dad where they carry them off the walls, right? All of my, oh, yeah, all, and that's the other thing. All of my grandchildren are going to get drums for Christmas, <laughs> right? Or some kind of a toy that sings and dances, like that Elmo thing that, we, that my parents gave to us, right? Um, but when you're a dad, you have to discipline, right? Because you are shaping that kid. You are shaping that kid. And so when you go through trials and difficulty, it is not proof that God doesn't love you. It is proof that God does love you. And so don't grow weary of that. Don't go, 
Oh, Lord, this is terrible. Don't fight against that. Receive that difficulty as discipline from God. That He is treating you like His kid, because you are. You know who doesn't get corrected in my neighborhood? The kids that aren't mine. Because i got enough trouble with the ones I've already got, right? I don't need to be responsible for everybody else's, right? I don't stick my head out, out the door and yell at the neighbor kids, right? Not that old yet, okay? Later, <laughs> later it'll be, get off my lawn, right? <laughs> so, but I don't, I, don't, I don't yell at the neighbor kids. They're not my responsibility, right? But my kids get corrected. My kids get disciplined. And guess what? God's kids get disciplined and corrected too. So he says, don't despise the Lord's discipline. When difficulties come into your life, don't receive them like something strange is happening to you. Receive them as discipline, correction from God. Now, here's the bottom line. Here's the point of this whole thing. Bottom line, trust God. Trust God. God, trust Him and obey Him and follow Him through every circumstance. In fact, you know, as I was writing this sermon this week, you know, that little, little Sunday school song that we all learned? Trust and obey, right? You remember? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. If you want the point of this passage... That's it. Something you learned in Sunday school. Something I learned in Sunday school. Trust Him when you're convinced your idea is better. Trust Him anyway. Let Him overrule you. Trust Him when your circumstances are good. Because man, it seems like it's easy then, right? You know, it's summertime and the cotton is high. Catfish are jumping, daddy's rich, and mama's good looking, right? That's when it's really easy to trust God, man. I got this, it's so great, God is just blessing, and it's wonderful. But how about when the circumstances are bad and ugly? And you go, man, this is tough. Trust God then too. Trust God then too. Because all of these things are things that God is using in your life and in my life to take us by the direct route, by the straight road, all the way to Him. Amen? Trust and obey. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You tell us in Your Word how to live life at its best how to live the life that is peaceful and joyful and results in blessing and reward if we will treat your commands as treasure and we will trust you in all circumstances and follow you in the commands that you give, then you open up the floodgates of blessing and you take us through trials not to hurt us, but to help us to become the people that you want us to be. Father, help us to remember these truths. Help us to put them in our hearts as treasure and to guard them and to 
walk in them and to follow them all the days of our lives. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.